Before we get into that, I just want to spend a minute uh, acknowledging that it's Memorial Day. Uh, and for many of us in our working lives, that means that it's a three-day weekend. Uh, but for many people in this country, it's a whole lot more than that, right? It's, uh, it's a sacrifice. Uh, people have lost their lives, men and women fighting uh, for our country, uh, for the freedoms that we have. Uh, so I just don't want to pass by Memorial Day uh, and not mention that because uh, so many great soldiers have, have died for our country to make this country the greatest country in the world and the greatest country the world has ever known. Uh, so we just uh, thank those folks. And uh, for the survivors, I just want to acknowledge those today too. So if you've served in the military, uh, please stand up and let us acknowledge you and thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, I know Mike Haynes isn't here. He would like to be acknowledged, I'm sure. And my father is watching on Facebook. So uh, thank you all to your service as well for your service. And uh, it's just a, a day to remember uh, this great country and those who gave so much for it. Uh, so we're going to do the message, but first we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for this Memorial Day. And we thank you for your blessings on this country for these nearly 250 years now. And uh, Lord, we just uh, ask that you continue to bless this country. Uh, Lord, though we have turned from you, uh, Lord, still we seek your blessing. And uh, we know that you will uh, do whatever is best uh, that you think is best in your timing according to your plan, Lord. But we just lift up this country. And we lift up the families today of the people who have uh, lost uh, their loved ones, their sons, their daughters for the defense of this nation, Lord, and uh, pray your comfort on them uh, this day. And Lord, as we come to the message today, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us, illuminate the word for us this morning, help us understand it, and most importantly, Lord, uh, may it change our lives as we give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for his ultimate sacrifice for us on this day. Uh, every Sunday is Memorial Day for us as we remember uh, the life and the death and the resurrection and the promise of the second coming for Jesus Christ. We thank you in his precious name. Amen. You got to dance with the one who brung you. That is a quote from uh, former University of Texas head football coach Daryl Royal. Uh, hook em horns to you horns fans out there. Uh, this was his favorite response when uh, reporters used to ask him, Daryl, what's your strategy for the next game? And he would say, well, you got to dance with the one who brung you. And that means that the plays that had been successful, the players that had been successful, uh, they were going to continue in that strategy. They had won games uh, with these players and with these plays, and so they were going to stick to that because his experience told him that that is what worked. Another way to say this uh, adage would be, uh, don't change horses midstream. Uh, I don't really understand the meaning of that phrase, like who rides horses in a stream anyway? And, and if you were, why would you jump from one horse to another? But uh, anyway, uh, the, the meaning of the phrase is if your experience shows you that one thing is working uh, and that it's going according to your plan, uh, don't mess with it, right? Trust your experience. So if these pithy little expressions existed during Paul's day, uh, he might have used them in talking to the Galatians. Uh, he might have said something like, hey, Galatians, uh, your salvation came by believing the gospel. You received the Holy Spirit by believing the gospel. You started on the road to sanctification by believing the gospel. You saw miracles because you believed the gospel. So don't switch horses midstream to a false gospel of salvation by works. You have to dance with the one who brung you. That's what Paul might have said. 
So throughout this passage and over the next several weeks, uh, we'll see that Paul presented seven, seven different proofs uh, for how the Galatians uh, uh, learned about the gospel and why they should continue uh, to travel with Jesus Christ through this life, uh, through the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ alone and not switch horses midstream to a gospel of uh, works or performance or Jesus plus works. So let's just remind ourselves of the context of Galatians once again, where we are in the book. Remember, in chapters 1 and 2, uh, Paul talked about his authority, right? First, he talked about uh, how he received the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ, something, nothing, uh, something none of the Judaizers could claim, right? And then secondly, uh, that when he went to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles, he was recognized by the church apostles, and he received the right hand of fellowship from these apostles in Jerusalem. And then uh, when Peter was out of line because he stopped eating with the Gentiles when the Jews came, well, he rebuked Peter publicly, which shows his authority. You have to be on equal footing in order to rebuke someone of Peter's status. Uh, and then in Paul's public rebuke of Peter, uh, he stated the gospel message in verses 15 and 16, which is, uh, the, the important part of it is, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So uh, in that passage, in verses 15 and 16, we see three different ways that Paul said the exact same thing, uh, that we're justified by faith and not by works. So that takes us through chapter 2. And now in chapters 3 and 4, as we go on, we're going to see these seven different proofs that Paul presented uh, to show that the gospel is by faith and that it's not by works. So um, we'll see that uh, there's going to be an outline here. These seven different proofs are going to be a roadmap. Uh, let me just scroll back to this. So we're all on the same page here. Uh, so giving away my PowerPoint by doing it backwards is, is not cool. Anyway, here's our roadmap. The, the seven proofs of, uh, of, uh, that Paul is going to present to show these Galatians uh, that, they, that it's by faith and not by works. So the first one is that the Galatians uh, were justified by faith and not works, which means their experience proves the, uh, the truth of the gospel. We'll see that today. Next week, we'll talk about how Abraham was justified by faith and not works. We'll see that God promised salvation with a covenant before he gave the law, and so the law didn't change uh, the covenant. Fourth, the purpose of the law was not to save. It was to show them their sin. Uh, fifth, those with faith are sons and heirs. Uh, sixth, the rituals of the law are futile towards salvation. And last, uh, the allegory of uh, Hagar and uh, Sarah proves that salvation is by faith and not works. So that's where we're going over the next several weeks. Uh, this week, uh, I just want to return to this doctrine of justification by faith. <clears throat> Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be justified, right? Justification simply means that God has declared us righteous as though we haven't sinned, even though we have sinned. And when he looks at us, he sees his son. He sees us covered in Jesus' blood, and so he doesn't see our sin anymore. Uh, he sees Jesus' atoning blood. And having punished Jesus for our sins, he's not going to punish us for the sins that he's already punished Jesus for. So uh, justification is God's legal declaration that we have been made right, that we are pure in his sight. But how are we justified? 
how are we justified? This week we'll spend a little more time talking about the by faith part. That's what we're going to focus on more. Because Paul said we are declared justified. We are declared righteous in God's sight by faith. That's how we get justified. And what Paul is focusing on this week is that the Galatians' own experience proved that justification is by faith and not by some other means. So in our passage today, we're going to see that the Galatians were switching horses, right? They were, they were jumping uh, from this gospel that Paul preached at first. He preached this gospel of faith in Christ alone. But then the Judaizers came in and told them that uh, there was more to it. It, it. It's faith plus the law, plus circumcision, plus dietary restrictions, and all of these things, uh, and that's how they're saved. And so Paul had to remind them and say, hey, Galatians, remember, uh, remember your, your own experience. How were you saved, Galatians? How, how were you saved? How did this happen? So they're thinking, uh, as Paul is asking the question, well, we're going back in our memory banks now. How were we saved? And that's what Paul wants them to do. So uh, if they believed by faith, if they received the Holy Spirit by faith, if they saw miracles by faith, why would they switch horses midstream and think now something has to happen by works? Paul is trying to show them just how foolish they were being. Their own experience proved that salvation is by faith and not by works. So the proofs that Paul is going to present is your salvation is by faith, your uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit was by faith, your growth in Christ was by faith, uh, your experience and your suffering is by faith, and you witnessed miracles by faith. All of these proofs are just contained in these five little verses here. So let's look at the first one. The, the Galatians received the gospel that Paul preached. This is chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Sometimes I can't resist the J.B. Phillips translation, which is hysterical. Uh, the J.B. Phillips version says, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, how can you be so idiotic? Uh, that might be a little bit harsh, but, you know, that is the gist of the verse. That's exactly what he's saying. Uh, Paul seemed bewildered, almost like the Galatians had fallen under a spell, right? And this word bewitched has a, a supernatural meaning to it, a connotation, almost demonic, right? Uh, and so Paul wants to remind them of their own salvation experience. Uh, how were they saved? Was it by works of the law or by hearing the gospel? And so Paul had preached this gospel, uh, including the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, in such graphic detail, it was as if they had seen Jesus crucified with their own eyes. That's what it means by clearly portrayed as crucified. And so Paul preached the crucifixion of Jesus. Then he preached the resurrection of Jesus. And he preached the meaning of the resurrection. And they, they believed Paul's message. They believed in Jesus. They believed the gospel. And they were saved as a result. They weren't saved by works of the law, uh, but by belief, by faith. That's how they were saved. But then they, Paul leaves, he goes on doing his missionary journeys, and these Judaizers come in, and they, they come preaching a false gospel of Jesus plus works, Jesus plus the law, plus circumcision, because they didn't fully understand grace. They, they couldn't let go of their traditions uh, and believe that, that the gospel is by faith alone. And so Paul was confounded that the Galatians had so quickly uh, fallen prey to the false teaching of these Judaizers. And why did they fall prey? How could they fall prey? Well, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit does give us spiritual discernment, 
but we have to use it, right? We have to employ this tool that God has given us, and sometimes we forget to use our spiritual discernment. And these Galatians may have been a bit naive as new believers, right? They didn't know all that was involved in Christianity. And when they came in, the Judaizer, when the Judaizers came in, they say, oh yeah, Paul was right to an extent, but he only told you part of the story. There's more to the story. You have to keep all these other uh, laws. And so uh, this is where the, the Galatians you know, might have been a bit confused. And so that's why, uh, to present day, why I always encourage us to test our teachers, right? We should always be testing our teachers because it's quite common for new believers and even some believers who have been believers for many, many years uh, to, to fall victim to a teacher with excellent speaking skills and, and lots of charisma uh, and a message that people want to hear but then have bad theology, right? Uh, how else would you explain Joel Osteen, right? Same idea, lots of charisma, bad theology. Uh, and so we've talked several times about false teachers, bad teachers, uh, and we also have to recognize that Satan is alive and well, right? And he's looking to destroy the church, and he'll use any tool in his toolbox, whatever he can find in his arsenal, uh, to cause us to stumble. So Paul taught more than once in his letters to beware of false teachers within the church, right? False teachers from within the church. They're even more dangerous than those outside the church. And Jesus warned his listeners in the Sermon on the Mount to beware of false teachers. They look genuine, but they are wolves, and they're dressed in sheep's clothing. So warnings throughout scripture, and, and these warnings have been fulfilled throughout church history, right? You can look at any century of church history, and you can find false teachers, and you can find them today, too. And that's why we have to zealously guard our own faith, because the world is full of charlatans and con men. So we have to watch out. We have to test them. We have to test what they say against the word. Uh, and the Galatians, they, they, they didn't do that. Uh, they forgot their own experience of how they received the gospel themselves, that it was by faith and not by works. Uh, and that's why Paul was so frustrated. Uh, palm face emoji. All right? He was so frustrated because they, they just, they lead the gospel and he doesn't understand why. And so he's asking several rhetorical questions uh, to ask them what is up with them and to try to wake them up. So here he moves on to the next point, which is that the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And this is uh, chapter 3, verse 2. I would like to learn, learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, how were you saved? That's the question, right? And if Paul could get them to answer this one question truthfully, accurately, well, then the whole matter would be put to rest, right? Paul wasn't questioning their salvation. He knew they were saved, but he's asking them how they were saved and how they received the Holy Spirit. Now, some of these Galatians, they may have been present at Pentecost only a few years ago in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2. That's possible. And if, if they were, if any of these Galatians were there, well, obviously from their own experience, they would clearly know that that one minute they weren't saved, that they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and the next minute they did, right? They had flames of fire on their shoulders, right? They, they, that was an unforgettable experience. They certainly would have remembered that. But then there are those who weren't at Pentecost. But still, they were saved by Paul's preaching, and, and somehow they knew that something was different about them. They had been changed. What was it? 
Did they do some great deed and God said, well, because you did that amazing deed, here is the gift of the Holy Spirit for you. Or did they keep the law so well one day, right? They woke up and had a perfect day, didn't sin once, and God said, well, as a reward, here's the Holy Spirit for you, right? Or did they go under the knife? Did they get circumcised? And and God said, as a result, because you were faithful to me, here's the Holy Spirit. No, none of those things happened. What happened was that Paul preached the gospel They heard it with their own ears. They believed, and they were saved by faith, and they received the Holy Spirit. This word received means that they gratefully accepted this gift that God offered. Uh, Paul used the same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, when he wrote, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? So, It's not work to receive the gospel. Receiving is just God opening our eyes to the truth uh, and teaching us that we are sinners in need of salvation. So we receive this gift that Jesus purchased for us by dying on the cross in our place. We receive this gift when we believe. We receive it by faith. So God's gift of salvation is not for sale, as if we could buy it with a certain amount of good works And it can't be earned no matter what we do. There is only one way to receive the gospel. It's a gift that we receive by faith. So the the Galatians, they experienced this. They experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith and not works. So they were saved by by, by faith. They received the Holy Spirit by faith. And next, Paul's going to talk about uh, the beginning of their Christian walk. Uh, How was that happening? Was that happening by faith or was it by works? Well, here's... Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you trying to now to finish by means of the flesh? I think this is a trap that, that you and I can fall into. I think this is something that, that's very uh, easy to fall into. We know we've been saved by the grace of God, right? That's, that's pretty easy. Um, and we know that God gave us the Holy Spirit when he saved us, but do we recognize that our sanctification is also by faith and not by works? Do we want credit for our spiritual growth or or for the things that we do, the good works that we do? Or do we realize that we are just branches that abide in the vine and, and apart from the vine, we can do nothing? That's what sanctification is. It's abiding in the vine, uh, allowing Holy, the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. We're not doing our work apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is what Paul is asking. Having been saved by faith, are you now trying to be sanctified by works? So that's the conundrum, right? So let's think about what Paul's saying here in verse 3. After beginning by means of the Spirit, that means the start of their spiritual walk. They were saved, they received the Holy Spirit, and now they're embarking on their faith journey. And this is where we see that salvation and sanctification are not the same, but they're tied together. You can't have sanctification until you have been saved, received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to walk in the faith. So God saved the Galatians, and he saved all believers by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But now the Galatians were changing horses midstream, allowing the Judaizers to convince them that they started by faith, but now they have to finish their Christian walk by means of the flesh. This word to finish uh, is the Greek word telos, which means, can also call, mean to finish, to be completed, to be perfected, uh, those kinds of words. So that's why some of your translations may say, uh, are you now being completed or now being perfected by the flesh? 
uh, being perfected or finishing refers to the process of the Holy Spirit working in believers to make us more like Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit who works in us. It's not us working apart from the Holy Spirit in our own power to try to obtain our perfection. Uh, Paul is not denying that works are good. Works are obviously good, but only if they're done in proper response to God's salvation, uh, because we want to live obediently, because we want to live in gratitude for our salvation, because we love the Lord. And so it's always a heart issue. What's our motive for doing good works? Uh, are we trying to earn something? Are we trying to gain credit uh, from God for something? Uh, this is what Paul means by finishing by means of the flesh. Uh, your translations may say by human effort. Uh, the, the word there is actually the word the flesh, and Paul uses that word often to speak of uh, what's inside of us, the sinful flesh, is a, which is opposed to the Holy Spirit. We see that uh, juxtaposition frequently in Romans chapter 8, being of the flesh and being of the Spirit, and they're at war with each other. So these Galatians, are they trying to be perfected by means of the flesh? And this is a danger that we can all fall into, right? We do this all the time because being perfected by the flesh uh, is any man-made system of trying to obtain favor with God. Uh, you know, rules and regulations that we establish. Uh, I have to read my Bible every day for 15 minutes. I'm going to do that from now on. That's a rule in my life. Or I have to give X amount of dollars uh, to this charity, to the church, and that charity. Or I have to do X number of good deeds a day, and I'm going to mark them down, the good deeds that I do, right? This is establishing man-made means of trying to obtain God's favor. And they're good if we're doing them uh, in response to our salvation out of gratitude to the Lord, but they're, they're not good if we're trying to use them to gain favor with God, to, to earn uh, something from him. So God doesn't owe us anything for the good works that we do, even if they're done for him, right? But when we make rules to follow, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's legalism, and that is strictly of the flesh. So having started by the gospel, we need to continue in the gospel. Our salvation depends wholly on Jesus' work on the cross, but so does our sanctification too, and that's what we have to remember. We'll always be justified by faith, but we're also sanctified by faith, and we grow to maturity, and we're sanctified through the gospel and by God's power working in us, not our power trying to work out our own uh, way of doing things or, or fulfilling some rules and regulations that we have created. So he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We're saved by the gospel. We grow in the gospel. We're not saved by faith and sanctified by works, but rather as, as uh, we continue to believe the gospel, uh, the gospel has a sanctifying, a purifying effect on us. Uh, as we grow in the Lord, our sin repulses us and we love Christ more. We love others better as we continue to believe the gospel and we allow, allow it to change us. Now, we have, to, we have a cooperative part in this, right? We have to abide in what the Holy Spirit says. We have to uh, allow him to convict us of sin. We have to do the work that he's called us to do. And this is hard. This is why I preach the gospel every single week, right? Because it's so hard. Uh, we need it so desperately, even after we're saved, right? It's one thing to be saved, but then what do we do next? Uh, How then shall we live is a, a popular title of books teaching us about our sanctification. So we have to preach the gospel every week, and here's why. Have you sinned this week? Don't say it out loud. 
But have you sinned this week, right? And so have I, right? We've all sinned this week. Uh, we need to hear the gospel, to be reminded of it, to be reminded of God's grace so we grow in the gospel, serve the Lord more faithfully, love God more fully. So sanctification is as much of an act of God's grace as salvation is. And the Galatians' own experience in receiving the Holy Spirit and growing as Christians proved it. Here's the next evidence. Uh, the Galatians' suffering proved the gospel. Verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? The word for experience is the Greek word pasco, and it can have like a neutral connotation. Uh, in the NASB, it's translated as experienced, but some of your Bibles may say, have you suffered so much in vain? It can have that meaning as well. So have you experienced, have you suffered so much, and, and is that in vain? Uh, Paul's first missionary journey took him through Galatia, and that's recorded in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, show that Paul warned the Galatians that they might suffer for their faith. Here's what he said. Uh, after they have evangel had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening disciples by encouraging them to continue by in, or in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. So Paul is reminding them that if they turn from grace to law, whatever experiences, whatever sufferings they had would be wasted. They would be thrown away. They'd be for nothing. So we as Christians, you and I, we endure suffering because there are benefits. We're promised benefits. Jesus, in fact, said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we endure suffering knowing that there is a reward at the end of it. And so Paul's concerned if the Galatians suffered for the gospel, whatever they experienced would be wasted. And the threat of suffering was the same threat that Paul faced, that these uh, Judaizers and the Jews who, who didn't believe in Jesus at all were going to persecute him because they were abandoning the law. And that's what Paul was saying, not to abandon the law, but to abandon the law as a means of salvation. You can't be saved by following the law. So these Galatians, uh, they, were, they, they might be persecuted, but still they shouldn't change horses just to avoid persecution. And Paul didn't want that for them. And I think deep down, he didn't really expect them to, to uh, have their suffering wasted either, which is why he ended this verse on an optimistic note, uh, which says, if it really was in vain, right? I think he's hopeful there that it isn't in vain. So Paul's presenting these proofs one after another. Your salvation is by faith. You receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Your faith journey uh, is all because of your uh, faith in Jesus and not by the, by the works that you do. And the suffering that you may suffer, that you have suffered, that's because of the gospel. Don't abandon it or it will be wasted. And the last proof that Paul uh, puts forth here is that the Galatians experience miracles. Verse 5, so I ask again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So this verse is the same as verse 2, except that he's added this little phrase in there, and work miracles among you. Uh, so that's the new thing in verse 5. Every time that God takes a heart that is hardened against him and transforms that heart 
to turn it into a heart that receives the gospel and believes in Jesus Christ, that's a miracle. Brothers and sisters, you and I are all miracles. Every single one of us has our own miraculous story to tell of what God has done in our lives. So we've experienced that miracle personally. The Galatians had also experienced that miracle personally. They'd received the Holy Spirit when Paul preached the gospel to them. But not only that, God did other miracles that they plainly saw as Paul was traveling with Barnabas throughout Galatia. In Acts chapter 14, 3, uh, Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel in Iconium. And here's what it says. They spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace and granting that signs and wonders be performed by their hands. So these are unspecified signs and wonders, but these are miracles. Whatever they were, uh, they were supernatural things that only God could do. And so these Galatians saw them with their own eyes. And miracles are a big faith booster, right? When you see something done through Paul's hands as he attributes it to God, these would be uh, something that would really help the Galatians' faith. And then a bit later in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, there was a disabled man and he's listening to Paul preach the word. And Paul looked at him intently and saw that he had the faith to be made well. And he said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man leaped up and began to walk. That's a miracle, right? And so when the Galatians saw this, they tried to grab Paul and Barnabas and make gods out of them, right? Because uh, they were so stunned by what they had seen. And Paul and Barnabas, of course, had to correct that. But certainly the Galatians would have remembered the miracle. It only had happened a couple years ago when Paul wrote this letter. So these Galatians, they have all this experience. They have the salvation experience, the Holy Spirit uh, receiving him, how they started out on their faith journey, uh, their sufferings by faith, uh, and now the miracles they experienced all by faith. So to paraphrase what Paul is saying in verses one through five, he says to them, Galatians, remember how you first came to Christ. Barnabas and I came to Galatia preaching the good news. You believed it. You heard our words, believed it. God poured out his Holy Spirit into you by grace. And the evidence of his presence and his power is unmistakable. And this had nothing to do with you keeping the law or getting circumcised or doing good works or any other thing. It was because you believed and then having begun in the spirit, are, are, now you, are you now going to switch horses? Don't turn back uh, to the flesh. Stay with Christ. Don't blow it by following these false teachers who are trying to add to the gospel. Instead, remember your own experience of how you were saved. It was by hearing the word. It was by believing. So don't change horses midstream. This is Paul's message to the Galatians. So we have all of these proofs. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about this Galatian experience of justification by faith. Remember, that's what Paul's been trying to prove all along here, this gospel of justification by faith. So I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about by faith. You know, this week has been an incredibly cruel reminder of the fragility of life, right? We witnessed firsthand how a madman can walk into a school uh, and in a matter of only moments, snuff out the lives of 19 kids uh, and two teachers uh, in, in no time at all. And this week, we also witnessed how uh, this, the, this uh, report uh, on the Southern Baptist Convention came out, and we've seen a pattern of abuse of, of women and children that's been going on for decades, right? This has just been released this week, and so we see uh, all kinds of sin 
uh, in the world today. And when we see things like this happen, we might be tempted to ask, where is God? Why doesn't God do something about it? How could God allow this? If God is all-powerful, why didn't he cause this madman uh, in Texas to, to drive his car into a tree or something before he arrived at the school so that he couldn't do this horrendous deed? And we might even start to question our own faith. And so that's what I want to talk about by now. What exactly does by faith mean? Well, if keeping our salvation depended on us, on our inconsistent faith, we'd be goners, right? We are fickle. We are emotional creatures. Uh, and sometimes we allow our feelings to, to get in the way of our faith. Uh, and that's something I think that we're all prone to. When life is going well and we feel healthy and we have enough money and our kids are, are doing well, they're happy and they're successful and our marriages are good. Well, you know, our faith might be very strong then, right? We're not undergoing any adversity. Life is going well. It's easy to have faith in those times. But when we have a financial downturn or when our kids go astray or when we're stuck in a sinful habit that we can't break or when some senseless killing, some madman goes into a school and shoots 21 people dead, we can really start to question God, right? Uh, when these things happen, when the rubber meets the road of our faith, uh, do we really believe in a God who is all-powerful and who loves us more than we can ever imagine? I'm sure we all wondered on Tuesday uh, why God didn't stop this horrific slaughter. He's powerful, right? He can certainly do that. And we ask, well, why God, why? And we don't have answers to these questions but our questions don't affect our salvation. And that's what I want to drive home today because the, the, the salvation that we have was bought when we believed and we can't lose that salvation. And that's why the vacillating uh, strength or, or, or weakness of, of our faith is really not the issue, right? The object of our faith is all that matters. If our faith is in Jesus Christ and him alone, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, well, then we have nothing to fear, even when we don't understand what God is doing and, and even when our faith falters. So this by faith part might seem really hard for us. Uh, how much faith do we need? How strong does our faith have to be? Well, I would submit that if we're asking those questions, those are the wrong questions to ask. The right questions to ask are, how powerful is our God to save us and to sustain us? How strong is the blood of Jesus Christ, which bought our salvation and rescued us from the penalty of our sins? If the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, we'll be okay even when we don't understand what God is doing and why he allows what he allows. Our God is a big God and he can handle our questions. Uh, so no matter how little or, 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 or much faith we seem to have in a given moment, uh, if we believe in Jesus Christ, he will carry us home. He is the one who justifies. He is the one who gives us this gift of faith. And so he is the one responsible to bring us home to heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the author of our faith because he gives us this faith. He gives us salvation. And he's the perfecter of our faith because he is the one who uh, helps us complete our journey. So it's all his work, and all we have to do is to continue in the faith. I don't know why God allowed the massacre that happened this week. What I do know is because you and I have heard the word, uh, and by faith we have believed it. 
that we believe that God loves us more than we can imagine, and that he proved it by allowing Jesus Christ to, to die on the cross for our sins, for ordaining that Jesus Christ should die on the cross for our sins, ought to be enough proof for us uh, that he loves us. I'm saved because I believe by faith that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I believe by faith that God is just and he will bring these souls, these 21 souls, uh, to him. And I know that God promises that one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes and he will make all things new. Uh, and so even in the worst of human tragedy, God promises never to leave us, never to, to forsake us, and God's promises are sure. So like the Galatians, Paul is saying, you know this by faith. Don't try and go to some other system. You know it by faith. Stay in the faith. You know it through your own experience. You know it through your own salvation. You know it through the indwelling Holy Spirit who has changed your life. You know it because you've experienced the love of God. So we're not going to change horses midstream. This is what it means to say that your salvation is by faith, that you are justified by faith. Just realize that your faith is a gift from God, and don't let your feelings get in the way of what God has said is fact. You have been saved. Don't allow your feelings, your, your frustrations, whatever they are, just continue on the walk that God has. So let's talk about some applications as we close. And the first one is this, uh, to remember our salvation experience. Do you remember when you first believed, when you first received the Holy Spirit and experienced his miracles? Even if you didn't have like an aha moment of salvation, right? An epiphany all of a sudden. Uh, you can probably look back at a time in your life when, when you know that you were saved and your lives were changed. Uh, so that's all of God, right? Our salvation is 100% God's work. And yet sometimes we're tempted, right, to, to, to slip back, to backslide into believing that somehow performance of rituals earns us favor with God. And that's pure legalism. Again, trying to gain God's favor by works. Why would we add anything to God's grace? We need to remember how God saved us, and now that God sustains us. It's not about us. It's about God who gave us the Holy Spirit, who sanctifies us. And as much as we need to remember our own salvation, we need to be faithful to tell others. We're going to hear lots of talk in the upcoming weeks about the need for safety in schools and the need for gun control and all of these things that the politicians will use to capitalize on this incident to try and gain votes as the midterm elections come up, right? And I'm all about for keeping uh, automatic weapons out of the hands of madmen, right? And I'm all for uh, keeping teachers and students safe in schools. But the root of the problem is not guns and it's not school security. The root of the problem is sin. The root of the problem is, is that it's a heart issue. We've forgotten God. We've abandoned God. We've said, we don't need you anymore, God. And when we did that years ago, we're now reaping the fruits of that. This is what's happening in our world today. So our world needs Jesus Christ. And if we want the world to look more like heaven, we need to tell people about Jesus. Our experience with Jesus proves the gospel is true. And no one can deny your or my testimony, right? No one can deny your testimony. So remember your salvation experience and share it with someone else. And let's remember that we still need the gospel today. The gospel is not only for salvation, right? It's not uh, what a good pastor friend of mine calls hell insurance. That's not what the gospel is. It's for every day, right? We need it for every day. Uh, we trust in the completed work on the cross for our salvation. We trust in the continuing work of the Holy Spirit to mold us into who he wants us to be and to help us when we struggle with our own faith. 
We need the weekly encouragement of hearing the gospel preached, remembering uh, what Jesus did on our behalf. And we need daily encouragement. We do this by reminding ourselves of of the gospel, by reading the word, praying to God, uh, and and just keeping our nose in the Bible, keeping our eyes fixed on him. It's the only way to continue when life is hard or when we're stuck in a sin or when we've lost our source of financial security or when we get a bad diagnosis. Uh, We need to cling to the gospel when a madman goes rampaging through a school killing innocent people. So don't switch horses midstream. There is only one gospel. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. So we need to keep going with Jesus. You dance with the one who brung you. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we mourn for these families uh, who lost people in uh, Udalvi, Texas this week, Lord. And, and we come to you with grieving hearts, Lord, uh, admitting to you that we don't understand why these things happen, Lord, and that uh, we wish they wouldn't, Lord. We wish that you would have done something to intervene. And yet at the same time, Lord, we understand that you have a plan that's bigger than we can see, even though we don't understand it, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us to remember our salvation experience, Lord, that we have experienced the gospel, salvation, the Holy Spirit, your goodness and your blessings by faith, Lord. And let us just continue to cling to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that in times of trouble, in times when we don't understand, Lord, we just keep our eyes focused on him. And we say, Lord, I don't understand, but I believe by faith that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And that is the proof of your love to me. Now, Lord, let us remember these things. And Lord, let us go forth from here, change, so that we might share this love of Jesus Christ with others. And uh, say honestly to people, I don't understand why this shooting happened in Yuldalvi. I don't know why, if God is all-powerful, he allowed this, but here's what I do know. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that's the proof of God's love. Lord, may we go forth with these things in mind. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.